last week we we didn't get terribly far I I'm not feeling like I've got to cover X number of verses per week just want to make sure that we're uh, we're able to get this meat out of the out of the word here so um, I'm gonna reread 1 Corinthians 15 20 through 28 and my hope is that uh, we'll get to the end of this uh, section tonight <coughs> The Apostle Paul writes, but in faith, in fact, not in faith, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all uh, shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, quote, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But, it sa- but when it says all things, and the, that, by the way, that is a quote from Psalm 8. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So this is where our pronouns get confusing. Um, He is God the Father is accepted who put all things in subjection under him that is God the Son. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him that is God the Father again who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is why it's hard to read the Apostle Paul in a more literal translation, because his, his thinking is it's just so dense. Um, so that's why a lot of times you have to read and reread what's going on. Okay, So um, let's look at this idea that Augustine called original sin, right? Um, verse 21 says, As by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. Who is the man that death came by or through? Adam. Adam is correct. Right? You get a, bo- you get a bonus point for that. And because you were loud and I could hear you. All right? <laughs> right? And who is the man through whom the resurrection of the dead has come? Jesus Christ. That's Jesus. Right. Absolutely. Now, here's what, here's the reality. You are in Adam, right? We come from the line of Adam. We're in the domain of the world, the fallen world that comes from Adam. So you inherit death. That's your natural inheritance. It's kind of like, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but the truth remains. My dad, my biological father was never there. He just wasn't. Right, he was an alcoholic, and uh, he was just never there for us. Didn't pay child support. My mom didn't get along with him, uh, and so he wasn't there. Um, I tried to reconnect with him uh, in his latter years, and found him in a nursing home in North Carolina. Um, and uh, I mean, he just he didn't have anything. It was one of the so. There's a lot of different kinds of nursing homes, right? We've been to nursing homes, okay. There's the kind of nursing home that's basically like a hospital, isn't it? Right? And those are the ones that usually smell like urine. And, you know, all of the residents are just basically in hospital beds and they don't really go anywhere. Okay? 
And then you got the nursing homes that are like country clubs, right? You've seen those? <laughs> That's like, those people have good insurance is what it amounts to. Um, and so my dad was in the, you know, the uh, nursing home that's more like a hospital, and he did not move around because he couldn't walk. He had diabetes, type two diabetes, uh, that runs in my side of the, or his side of the family. Uh, my grandmother had it as well. So he couldn't walk. He's in one of these nursing homes that probably didn't pay their staff too well, and uh, so they didn't want to help him do anything. So he was basically in a bed and you know had one of those old school CRT TVs. And of course, this has been 20 years ago, so that's what everybody had back then pretty much, unless you were rich. Uh, but you know, and that's what he had up in the corner of the room and nothing else, it's just, just, you know. So I kind of felt bad for him and you know, I asked him you know, what he wanted and what he liked. And so I went and bought him a VCR and I bought him a couple of uh, movies that I thought he would like. This is back in you know, the VCR days, actual tapes. Okay, early 2000s, actually, I guess people had DVDs by then, but, um, and uh, so, you know, I was, I left it there so that the, you know, the hospital staff would hook it up because he had the TV. All they got to do is just screw the cable in up there. And uh, long story short, he passed away about seven years later. And uh, I got a call. In fact, I was in the lobby of this building uh, this is when we didn't have the upstairs back then. This is 2008. We just had the downstairs here. We had just gotten it ourselves, or early 2009. And my office was that side of the lobby over there because it was actually a, a wall and a door right there. And I can remember sitting there and getting the call, said that he had passed away. And um, because I was his official next of kin, then they had to ask me, you know, uh, for permission to do anything. And so, you know, I said that I'd go out there. His sister was the one that was, uh, you know, working the, the situation that I would go out there and I would do his funeral, not just come to it, but I would officiate his funeral. And I went out there. And uh, so, you know, I, you know, I did his funeral and everything and they gave me everything that he had. This is my inheritance. You know, my inheritance was the VCR and the tapes that I had bought him and a broken pocket knife. That was it. That was my inheritance, right? So why do I bring that up to you know, give you a sad story so you can cry over me? No, I, that's, that's our inheritance in Adam, brokenness. That's what we have in Adam, okay? That's why we need to come to Christ. When we come to Christ, we get eternal life as our inheritance. So when we choose Christ, when we come to Christ by faith, we're transferred from the dominion of Adam to the dominion of Christ. Or I should say, really, it's not like Adam is in charge. Dominion would be not pretty, not accurate. Uh, the domain would probably be better, right? The realm, the world that we inherit from Adam. But the dominion of Christ would be accurate because Jesus is ruling. So you're either in the domain of Adam, which is where we all begin, what we're all born into, or you've heard the call of God and you've chosen to obey and you've come out of the world and into faith in Christ and you come into the community of faith, that's the church. And uh, as Augustine had it, he was the one that coined this term original sin. Uh, there's two, there are two cities. There's the city of man and there's the city of God. 
and you're a citizen of one of those cities, right? By nature, you're born into the city of man. But if you hear the call and you respond to the call, then you can become a citizen of the city of light. Um, or another way of looking at it from Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he that is Christ rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So you get transferred from the domain of darkness, the shadow world, the hopeless world, the world that everybody is striving and struggling in right now to the dominion, the kingdom of Christ, right? All of those who are in Adam die and they die permanently. They're destroyed because they remain in sin. All of those in Christ are forgiven of sins and will be raised like their Lord to live with God the Father forever. They inherit eternal life, okay? So um, my idea of original sin is not identical with Augustine. Augustine thought original sin was kind of, they didn't have a, a concept of, excuse me, uh, genetics back then, but they knew that, you know, if you had blonde hair and, you know, your parents had blonde hair, that's where you got that, right? If you had blue eyes and that came from one or, you know, both of your parents, they didn't know about genotypes and phenotypes and all that or why it happened, right? Because they didn't understand genetics. But Augustine's idea was pretty much like a genetic defect, that sin, or original sin, I should say, is like a genetic defect, and you inherit it from Adam. Now, I'm not going to go into all the deep details concerning this, because this became a central doctrine, and is still a central doctrine in the Catholic Church, and among many uh, Protestant churches as well. What I would say is this, um, you do inherit death, you do inherit uh, a realm where sin is promoted and where if you do not choose to be pulled out, to be saved from that realm, then you're just going to go down the same path of sin as everyone else. You can't perfect yourself. Some people can uh, do more good than other people, but in the end, without faith, we're all lost. We're all doomed. We all have that curse of sin and death. We all sin. We all sin, we all die. For the wages of sin is death, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to reconcile ourselves to that. But if we have the Augustinian idea of original sin, I think that it's kind of excused. It's like, well, you know, we don't have any choice. You just sin because you have to, right? The reality is God sends his call out to us all, right? He tries to communicate with all of us in nature. He tries to communicate with all of us uh, through his word as we hear it preached, okay? Um, he communicates to us through Christ, um, who's presented in the word, but Christ is not identical with the Bible. It's just the Bible reveals Christ to us. Um, so uh, we, we know about God through creation. We know about God through our conscience, Okay, you have a sense of right and wrong. We know about God through the canon, that's scripture. We know about God through Christ. And we know about God through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The call is going out to us all. You have the opportunity to respond or to reject that call. You, you may not hear it because you're, you know, just all caught up in your life and your activities and you just don't want to, okay? 
or you may hear it and just absolutely rebel and not want to do anything about it. Okay, that's what we hear in this passage of Scripture. But in Christ, he says, all will be made alive. Well, who are all? Does that mean just everybody? Is that universalism? Universalism is a way of understanding salvation that says, well, everybody's going to be saved. And this is kind of the standard American idea of uh, life after death. That, you know, we're all going to die and everybody's going to heaven. And I've said this many times in this church, but it bears repeating. If we're all going to heaven, heaven's going to be just like earth, which means it's going to be pretty bad. Right? Because that means you've got all the same terrible people there that you have here. We're not going to lose our free will. Everybody's you're exercising their free will and sinning. That doesn't sound very heavenly to me. Okay? Everybody's not going to heaven. Those who choose to give their lives, to subject themselves, to submit to Jesus. What's the confession of faith that saves us? What do we say if we want to get saved? Jesus is Lord. You know what Lord means? We don't like that because we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. Lord means you get to tell me what to do. Lord means you're in charge. You're the master. You're the boss. You're the one I surrender to. Jesus, that's the only thing that saves you. So heaven is not, you know, me having my own little personal paradise where all of my wildest dreams come true. Um, Heaven is God's place. And the kingdom of God on earth is where we're going to live forever. And it's where God is going to rule. And, you know, you've already heard all of that in this. So everybody in the world uh, will, will be resurrected, but not everybody's going to receive eternal life. Some will be resurrected to life and some will be resurrected to eternal destruction, to hell. Okay. Um, those who are in Christ will be made alive. So you choose Christ and you're in Christ and then you're made alive. Eternal life is only available in Christ through the Holy Spirit. We cannot obtain it or attain it ourselves. You can't climb some sort of a ladder and get into heaven. You can't perfect yourself to the degree that you're prepared for heaven. Because if you're trying to do that apart from God, you don't understand what heaven is. God's not going to be, wow, you're a really perfect person. I know, and I don't need you. Okay, well, that's not heaven. I don't know what you think that is, but that's not heaven. And that's not where you're going to go. Because that self-will, that hubris, that arrogance, that pride, that sanctimonious attitude, I'm better than you, I'm holy, I do good, I'm going to heaven, that's going to get burned up. That's nonsense. That's not, no. That's, Jesus came to save us from all of that. Okay? So, um, Flesh gives birth to flesh. The more I strive in the flesh, even when I strive to perfect myself and do good, it's just more flesh. It's just more natural striving apart from God. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. That's what Jesus said, John 3, 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So we've got to be in Christ, and that happens when we believe and receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Once again, I think I quoted this last week, uh, Romans 8, 9 through 11 You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, I like how one translation puts this. You are not in the domain of the flesh, but the domain of the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. It's not to say that those who have the spirit, who have been reborn, who have Christ, cannot turn to their flesh and follow sin, a sinful path and do foolish things, okay? 
But it's, it is to say that if you have come to Christ, you belong to him and you're in the domain of the spirit and he is going to be continually convicting you and pulling you back, right? Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved, right? You're on your own. And if you're on your own, then you're going to die and you're going to be judged and you're going to go to hell. And that's because, not because I think I'm better than you or you're a bad person or I want to send anybody to hell, you just need to understand you have to be in Christ. He's the only one that's overcome sin and death. But if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, or it could be the spirit, as in your spirit, is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him, now this is not your spirit, this is Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, you know, to some people that might sound like foolishness. You know, I, I don't understand that. Well, apart from the ministry of God's spirit, you cannot accept it or you cannot understand it. If you understand me right now, be thankful that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If this just sounds like, uh, you know, the Charlie Brown movie where the adults are speaking, wah, 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 you need to pray that the Spirit will speak to you, right? Right now. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote earlier. It's been so long since we were in this chapter. <laughs> we started this like about a year ago. I don't know. We've been in 1 Corinthians for a while, haven't we? Yes, we have. Um, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. None of this is going to make sense to you unless you open your heart and accept the Spirit of God within you. And to do that, you have to call on the name of Jesus. You have to surrender yourself to him. Okay? It's not just a matter of, hey, I want to have enlightenment, God. That's not the way it works. You surrender yourself to Jesus. You lay yourself at his feet and then he sends you his spirit and you get enlightenment. Okay. Verse 23. Um, so who gets raised, right? Who gets resurrected? He says each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits. So Jesus is the, the, the premier person who is resurrected and the reason why the rest of us rest of, rest of us are resurrected then at his coming those who belong to Christ so um, as Christ has been raised so those who belong to him will be raised when he returns to earth and not before so when you die you don't automatically get a resurrected body right then at that point what did Jesus say to the criminal on the cross that, that said, um, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? What did he say to him? Yeah, when will you be with me in paradise? Today, he said, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, it's paradise. Well, paradise is, that's a, that's a, a, a euphemism for this spiritual realm in the presence of God, okay? This place of waiting, if you will. Now, I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of, you know, sense of waiting around, but we do have in Revelation, um, 
uh, I think, a sense that there is some perception of waiting. Uh, you have the saints that are under the throne that are saying, how long, O Lord, until we're vindicated? So I think there is a sense of, of time there, even though we've left time as we know it technically. But it's not the same as time down here. Okay, so in the Old Testament, the realm of the dead was called Sheol. Say that. Sheol. I know it's weird. That's why I had you say it. I'm not trying to be an elementary school teacher or something. It's it's not heaven. It's the grave. It's the realm of the dead. But it's, it was their idea of where everybody went to wait for judgment day. Right. But we have clear testimony in scripture that when Jesus died, he descended into the quote unquote lower earthly regions and he led forth a host of captives in his train. Those would be what we would call the saints of old, okay? The people who died and had whatever limited amount of faith they had before Christ. And now they are with him in this realm that we could call paradise, okay? But those who die apart from Christ are in this dark, shadowy world. You lived in the domain of darkness here. Perhaps you didn't realize how dark it was. But once you die, you're going to figure it out. Because look at the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man goes into this horrible region where he's already suffering for the life that he's lived. And, you know, he sees Lazarus, this man that he just left laying at his door. Uh, and, you know, he says, you know, send, send Lazarus back to earth so that my brothers will be set, spared from this terrible place. And uh, he's speaking to Father Abraham, which is this euphemism for God. And Father Abraham looks down at him and says, there, there's a, you know, a great chasm fixed between you and, and us. And you can't come here and we we're, can't come down there. And it wouldn't matter if somebody you know, came back from the dead to talk to your brothers, they wouldn't respond. If they won't respond to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to respond even if somebody raises from, rises from the dead. Well, this is what we see in Scripture. Um, you think, well, you know what, God, I'll believe if I see a miracle. No, you'll see if you see a miracle. Well, we see with the children of Israel over and over again in the wilderness, and I don't know how long we're going to be uh, in Exodus and, and these stories, but at least from now until Pentecost is my current plan. But we see how over and over again, um, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. But as I'll repeat on Sunday, they had this attitude of, hey God, what have you done for me lately? Okay, well that miracle was so yesterday. I need a miracle today. I have a need today and I want you to meet this need today. Well, we have needs and God knows that we're needy, okay? But we have to recognize that faith precedes God working in our lives. You can, you know, you can see all sorts of things happen out here in the world and hear reports from people, but that doesn't mean it'll change your life. You might have an emotional response to it, but that doesn't mean that it will change you. Faith comes first. That's what we need to do. Um, so uh, Christ has been raised 
And then those who belong to him will be raised when he returns to earth and not before. Those who would like to spiritualize the resurrection could say that it has already taken place or that it's already realized within the believer because we talk about a spiritual rebirth, right? Um, the Holy Spirit, in fact, does bring about a preliminary, we could, and we could actually call it a spiritual resurrection or a resurrection of the Spirit by his action of the new birth, which results in the image of God being restored in us, right? However, there is more to the resurrection than this. It's just the beginning. You do need to be raised spiritually from within, okay? It is uh, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So there does, there, you know, a, a spiritual rebirth does need to happen, but that's not where it stops. We don't just float around uh, forever as spirits in heaven. When Jesus returns, everybody will know it. And when the resurrection happens, it will follow the order that Paul indicates. Here's what the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. This would be people that had died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the air or in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what we're looking forward to, friends. That's what this chapter is about. A bodily resurrection. All right. Verse 24. Then comes the end. So after all that has happened, okay, the resurrection happens. The resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous and judgment day. Okay. And the righteous enter uh, the presence of God forever and live on a renewed earth and a new heaven. And the unrighteous are cast into hell and uh, endure eternal destruction. Then comes the end when he, that is Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority. So, you know, we have all these authorities that are, you know, over us. I didn't even realize some of the authorities that are over us, okay? Until the pandemic happened, right? Suddenly, uh, you know, I'm in Garland, but I'm in Dallas County. And some judge sitting on the commissioner's court, which I don't even know how that operates in Dallas County, can make a pronouncement and everybody has to listen. Or, do you remember this, by the way, two years ago? It, it ended right around now, two years ago. And the only reason I know that is because Facebook churns up posts that I had. I think it was May the 2nd is when uh, the governor just said, no, it's done. It's over. Thank God we have a governor that has sense. Please vote for that governor again. If you want to go vote for this other guy, you're just basically voting for the governor of California. Look at how California fared during the pandemic and you'll see how we will fare so what I'm trying to get at is, I'm not trying to get political here, but we have all these authorities, right? 
Here's this judge, Clay Jenkins, and he says, you need to stay inside. Shelter inside. And if you go outside, it's a $1,500 fine and six months in jail. Do you remember that? That happened in Texas. I'm like, who is that authority? I never even heard of that guy, right? And then suddenly I, I recognized that, you know, we've got a city council here in Garland, and Garland is technically home rule, which means they don't have to follow everything that Dallas County says. So they could overrule that if they chose to. So they got together and they're like, well, what are we going to do about this? Well, initially they just went along with it, right? But as these rules and regulations started piling up, eventually the city council started kind of bucking that a little bit. What am I trying to say here? We have all of these people we don't even realize are over this, over us. They can take authority, okay? You know, the president can make these pronouncements and, you know, I mean, the reality is the current administration, and it's not just Biden, it's the Democratic Party, is opposed to the oil and gas industry, period. Okay, one of his campaign promises was, we're going to end oil and gas in this country. How much are you paying for gas right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the first things he did was cancel the Keystone Pipeline. And they are limiting any of these leases that... Uh, uh, gas and oil can utilize to go and drill. Like, no, we want you to go electric. Listen, man, I'd love to have a Tesla, okay? But I can't afford one. And right now, gas is too expensive. And even if you don't drive a car, diesel in Texas is $5 a gallon. What do you think that's going to do or is currently doing with all these truckers that are driving around delivering your stuff that you buy at the store. That's why everything's going up. We have all these authorities around us making random pronouncements and we don't have any control over it. I got news for you. Jesus is in control, brother. Jesus is in control, sister. That's why I trust him, right? It might sound like I'm preaching politics right now. I'm just going to tell you. It doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat or independent or whatever it is, Okay. All rule and authority is going to surrender to Jesus. In the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every atheist will say that. Every Satanist will say that. Every agnostic will say that. You will say that. Now, if you say it now and you mean it, you'll be saved. If you say it then, you're just confessing the truth to your own condemnation. So... I advise you to say it now and mean what you say, right? Um, yeah, so verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father after de- destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign, that is, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And he has a lot of enemies today, doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus have a lot of enemies today? Now, there are people who would confess Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. They're not following the word of God. They're taking Jesus' good name and slapping it on their politics, slapping it on their value system. And Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with that. I think to these folks, and it doesn't matter if they're on the the left or if they're on the right, to these folks, Jesus is going to say one day, "Um, I never knew you. Get away from me. I never knew you. You were using my good name, but I never knew you. 
Well, Jesus, we were just trying to fight for justice and we we're just trying to fight for right. And, you know, we, we, we preached and we prayed and he said, I, I didn't know you. I never knew you. Get away from me. You who practice lawlessness. You know what lawlessness is? It's when you do it your way. Okay. When you come up with your own value system, you got your own set of laws. You follow some set of principles or, or laws or values that come from somewhere other than almighty God who has given us his word. And although I'm pointing to a computer here, I'm, I'm reading from the word, so that's why I'm doing that, okay? Um, so yeah, there's a resurrection for the believer in Christ. And the end of the world comes after that resurrection. Christ must destroy every other rule, authority, and power on earth. Many people who read the book of Revelation believe that this will happen after a thousand year period during which time Christ will personally and literally reign on earth. This period is referred to as the millennium. Now, there's only one passage that speaks of the millennium and uses that term explicitly, and it's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And here it is. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that uh, ISIS and these Islamic extremists were beheading Christians, you know, back a few years ago. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, they were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who would not worship the beast or its image. I won't get into that, but this is Satan's representative on earth. Satan's political uh, representative, the one who exercises Satan's power on earth. And they had not received the beast's mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So, um... A literal reading of that passage would seem to indicate that at least those who are martyred for their faith come to life to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, where do they reign with Christ? Do they reign on earth or are they reigning over the earth in heaven? Well, there's lots of discussion about that. And uh, there's a position called Ah, millennialism, which means that the millennium is a symbolic period of time, not a literal thousand years, where Christ is reigning in heaven with the resurrected saints right now. And then there's premillennialism that says, no, Christ is going to return to earth before a literal thousand years. Either way, who reigns? Jesus. And who is with him reigning? The saints, Right. Well, where do you want to be? I want to be with Jesus. Hopefully you do too. For he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. So that's the purpose of this reign of Christ. So initially, when you say Jesus is Lord, if you mean it and you're not just talking, then you are putting yourself under his feet. And then you join his army and you preach his word and you seek to help his reign and his rule extend on earth. What are we supposed to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, holy is your name, your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what you're praying for, isn't it? And that's what you should be voting for. That's what you should be advocating. That's what you should be marching for, crying out for, preaching, not going along with the crowd. You're going along with the crowd, then all you're doing is spreading the enemy's lies, okay? We need to be a different sort of people. Well, the last enemy that is destroyed after all of his enemies are put down is death, right? Now, Jesus has destroyed death, overcome death, and if you come to Christ, then death will be nothing more than a, a passage into the next life for you. But he means he will destroy death altogether. In heaven, in God's kingdom, there's no more death at all. In fact, there's no more crying. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. That sounds like a good place to me. Does it sound like a good place to you? That sounds like where I want to be. That's where I want to be. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So once Satan is cast into the lake of fire, Judgment com commences upon humanity. The dead are cast into the lake of fire, and the old order is at an end. There's no more death, suffering, pain, or crying. That's found in chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. Revelation describes the holy city then that descends upon a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and uh, this is from Revelation uh 21, 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And remember that the sea separates people, right? I mean, the, the ocean is beautiful, sure. But it's, do you know the Pacific is so vast that there are places, regions in the Pacific Ocean where there's no land anywhere for thousands of miles. It's so vast. So, you know, today, I mean, we jump on a plane and fly here and there. But, you know, to these ancient people, the, the sea separates everybody. Well, there's no more separation from people, but, you know, of people from one another. There's no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, as a bride adorned for her husband. That's where we're going to live a renewed earth, okay? It's not some weird, you know, science fiction existence or some, you know, strange medieval idea of angels floating around in clouds playing harps. That's not where we're going to live. You're going to have a resurrected body. It's going to be you looking as good as you've ever looked. You remember when you looked at yourself in the mirror and you were like, you look good. Man, you look really good. Have you seen old pictures of yourself? I like periodically to post old pictures of myself. I'm like, man, I was kind of a handsome dude back in the day, you know? Look at that guy. Wow. Look at that hair. I had so much hair back then. Golly. You know? Or maybe you've never felt like that. Well, don't worry about it because you're going to be raised and you're going to have this body that's going to be amazing, but you're not going to worship it and you're not going to worry about it. And you'll never have to go to the gym. Isn't that awesome? I am not going to the gym when I get to heaven. I'm sorry. Not going anymore. I go every day right now, but I'm not going. I didn't go yesterday, but I go almost every day. But I worked out yesterday. I did karate with the kids, whatever. But I am not going to the gym in heaven. I'm sorry. No. For God has put all things, all things in subjection under his feet. Okay. But when it says all things are put in subjection, 
it is plain that he, that is God the Father, is accepted who put all things, things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection, in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Again, very difficult, but let's get through it. Even in the Godhead, what is the Godhead? God is one God, but what? Three sons. Three persons. Not three gods, three persons. Okay? One essence, three expressions of that singular essence. It's a mystery. Okay? One and three. It's a paradox. Because we're walking around down here on earth. That's why. Uh, the best uh, way to explain this that I've ever seen. It's very helpful for me. God is above space and time. Yes? Okay? So, imagine a world in which everyone lived in only two dimensions. Okay? As in two spatial dimensions. We would say we live in four dimensions, but one is time. Three spatial dimensions. Okay? Just, just think of it this way. Back and forth, side to side, up and down. Easy to understand? Imagine a world, and you live in this world, where there's no up and down. You can't even understand up and down. There's no such thing as up and down for you. There's just back and forth and side to side. Nobody's tall. Everybody measures how wide they are. <laughs> it's like, how wide are you? <laughs> you know? There's no thickness. You're just wide, you know? Deep and wide. Deep. Okay, so, you know, you just take up space on the ground. You know, it's like a flat piece of paper. So it's like the surface of this table right here, okay? I don't mean a table because there's up and down here. I mean just the surface, just flat right here. You live here. This is, this is your world right here. This is it. That's the earth. You know, the flat earth people would love this right now, right? There are people that believe the earth is flat. Did you know that? They really are. It's, yeah. Anyway, this is you. This is your whole world right here. Okay? And then along comes a three-dimensional creature. I'll be the three-dimensional creature. I'm going to play the three-dimensional creature in this little play that I'm putting together. Okay? And here's all of these little flat people running around on the surface. Okay? And they're all like little blobs. Kind of moving around. What would it look like to them if I did this? What would that look like to them? I'm waiting. You can't think? What would this look like to them? You can't think, you can't think that way? It would look like three circles. That's it. Would they see this? Would they see me up here? No. What would they see? They would see the imprint of my pointer finger, my middle finger, and my thumb. How many beings am I? But what do they see? Does it help you kind of understand? Okay. So I'm not saying, you know, that's the way it is with God, but I am saying that God is above us. He's in a set of dimensions that we can't even perceive or understand. Actually, we can, spiritually speaking, 
That's what your spirit does, is it reaches beyond these four dimensions into these dimensions where God lives, God's space, if you will, okay? But he has chosen to express his utterly otherliness, his transcendence, his holiness, as a trinity of persons. But in the end, it's all going to come back to three gods? Nope, one God, right? That's all. It's all subsumed back up into God. When all things are subjected to God, uh, when all things are subjected to Jesus, that is, then the Son himself, Jesus, will also be subjected to God, the Father, who put all things in subjection unto him. So God may be all and in all. So all of this need that we have now, as God expresses himself for three persons, it's just God. It's not, well, I follow the Holy Spirit, right? You've got churches that are all about the Holy Spirit, right? Aren't there? Aren't there churches that pretty much all they talk about is the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Right? you got churches that, you know, it's, it's about this transcendent, you know, all-knowing God that's beyond us and we can't know him. And, you know, and, and then you got churches that's, that's just Jesus. This, this is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but God is all and is and is in all. Okay, so that's how it all comes together at the end. There's no, there's no more mediator. Okay, Jesus is our mediator right now, right? He's the go-between. But in the end, it's just all us and God. That's it. That's what this is saying. Now, there's a good lesson here for the home. Ladies, you may love this or you may hate me for saying this, okay? But uh, we, we find this in other passages of Scripture, and this helps us to understand. <clears throat> God is three persons, but how many gods? One. One. All of the persons in that Godhead, or the word that was coined by a, a uh, theologian in the second century named Tertullian is the word Trinity. That's the word that we would use sometimes. You might just think of the Trinity River or something like that. But that word was coined by Tertullian in the second century or the third century. I think he was in the early third century, actually. And um, we would understand that if these three persons are actually one, then they have to be co-equal right? It's not a stack. But this sure seems like there is an order, okay? Equality doesn't mean there is not an order, right? Even in the Godhead, and apparently there is here. So, the lesson for the home. The husband is supposed to be, is appointed to be the head of the household as Christ is the head of the church. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians 11.3, Ephesians 5.23, right? And Colossians 3.18. So as Christ is over the church, so the husband is over the household and over the wife. Does this mean the wife is less than the husband? It does not. Is Christ less than the father. He is not. They are co-equal. But is there an order? There is an order. 
People that are all about the Holy Spirit all the time, and that's all they talk about, don't understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always bears witness to Christ. He always points to Jesus. And Jesus, the Son, always points to the Father. The Trinity is selfless. God honors the Son. The Father honors the Son. Do you see how this is working? This is how it needs to work in the household. It's not some domineering, toxic male who's throwing lightning bolts at the family and telling them, my way or the highway, I'm the man of this house and you're going to do what I say, right? It's not, you know, the, the, the woman who's like, well, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to give you what you want. Okay, honey, whatever you want. No, <laughs> mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. We're just going to do what mama says. That's not the way it's supposed to work. There's an order in the household, okay? Um, so there's, a, uh, there's an order here. The wife is to be subject to her husband. The husband is to love the wife as himself. He's to, uh, to give selflessly to the wife. The word for subjection, and the reason I bring this up, that is used in these passages that say the wife is to subject herself to the husband is the exact same word that is used right here in this passage that says the son will be subject to the father. Is the son less than the father? He is not. The wife is not less than the husband, but that doesn't mean that she is not to follow that order. So, Inasmuch as Christ is subject to the Father, but remains co-equal, so the wife is subject to her, her husband, but is co-equal. As there is an order in the Godhead, so there must be order in the home. Now, this is a theological view of male-female relationships. Um, and if you want to read more about it, because there are those that have written extensively about this, it's called complementarianism. Right? So think of giving someone a compliment and then add Arianism to the end of it, complementarianism, and you can do some further research. Okay? Now, um, the next passage is kind of weird and controversial, so I'll get into it next week and I'll just cut it out early this week. <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it and we'll see you next week or maybe Sunday. All right? God bless you.